Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the autobiography, Patricia Sanjin Tells Her Own Story, and it is by Patricia Sanjin, with permission of 10 of those publishing company. And before I read Chapter 1, I just want to encourage you, if you are a family, that this is a wonderful book to listen to or read together, uh, to listen to the testimony of these saints of old and how God has used them can be such an encouragement to the younger people and to the older people as well. And uh, just pray that you have a wonderful time of talking about this around the dinner table as well. And we're going to start on Chapter 1. Family Background no two love stories were ever quite the same, but I doubt if there has ever been a more unusual courtship than that of my parents. When Harry, my father, was 15, he attended a church service. Mr. Swain was also there with his, with his curly-haired daughter of three. Mr. Swain got up to speak, and Ella fell off her chair and made a considerable noise about it. It was disturbing to her father's sermon, to say the least of it, and Harry, who knew the family, offered to carry her home. On the way, something happened to him. He left his small charge with her mother, but he did not forget her. He determined there and then that little Ella Swain was the girl for him, and he would wait for her. He waited a long time. On his father's sudden death, he was forced to leave school and turn his back on the academic career he had hoped for and looked for work. He became a junior bank clerk in the Westminster Bank with good prospects of advancement and he remained there for 20 years, hoping to support his widowed mother. But again, when he was 19, something happened. The details are not clear, for he never talked about that night except to say that he met with God. But that meeting transformed him from a rather rebellious lad, thoroughly disappointed with life, into a man with a passionate purpose, to know Christ, to study his Bible, and to tell others what he had found. From then on, every spare moment was spent in learning and studying or preaching, and gradually his life's ambition became to go and preach the gospel, where it had never been heard before. South America was a place laid on his heart. Meanwhile, little Ella Swain was also growing, and as Harry's older sister became her governess for a time, he often saw her. Her healthy, normal appearance her quick intelligence and tremendous enjoyment of life rested and refreshed him. Unlike him, she was no ascetic. Everything from the black gentleman singing love songs on the beach to the poems she learned at school was delightful and golden. Her father, Mr. Swain, was a board of education inspector and believed in a broad, careful education for girls. He was also a scientist and he loved to introduce his small daughter to the wonders and the beauties of the universe and she responded with eager enthusiasm. And not only to science, history and poetry captivated her. And while her future husband experienced spiritual raptures at the communion service, she would sit entranced, reciting Tennyson's poems to herself. Her father's work meant constant change of home, so he asked Mrs. Sanjin if she would take Ella as a weekly boarder for a few months in order to enable her to finish her school year in, in London. She was then 12 years old, and her greatest delight was to play football in the square with the Sanjin boys and their friends. Harry was then 24 years old, and he loved to tease her. He would pull her plaits and nicknamed her Piglet. Four years later, owing to schooling problems, she came back again to stay with the Sanjins. It was then that the 16-year-old schoolgirl happened to attend some Bible readings intended primarily for the young men. 
where Harry lectured on the book of Amos. Those lectures opened her eyes. Up to that time, she had revered the Bible, respected and believed her parents' teachings, but compared with botany and poetry, she had found scriptures a dull subject. And as for St. Paul's missionary journeys and the king of Israel, she considered the, the depths of boredom. But through Harry's exposition of the minor prophets, the book suddenly came alive. Here in this deep, mystic, yet practical teaching was the bread of her eager, growing spirit craved for. Literary beauty and strength, scholarly truth, burning challenge and devotion. She responded from the depth of her soul, and night by night she would sit absorbed in the church with the young men. And whenever there was opportunity, she would accompany Harry to the different places where he lectured. She was thrilled and fascinated and began to study her Bible, finding in it the answers to her youthful problems and a book to live by. During the next two years, Harry spent many weekends taking services in Godlam. He always stayed at her home, but although they were close friends, their relationship was quite devoid of romance. To her, he was a revered teacher. Twelve years her senior, and in all their conversations they seemed to have kept strictly to the point. He never failed to record them in his diary. Travel down in the train with Piglet. Much enjoyed Joshua 4 and 5 together on the journey. Wrote a long letter to Piglet on Matthew 13. A very dear child. God bless her and keep her amid the vain glories of life. But in his heart there was a growing, a quiet, Steady love, along with a fatherly interest in her spiritual growth. In September 1906, he and another man interviewed her as she had asked to become a communicant. Parentheses, this is where she wanted to take communion, so they had to interview her for that. Again, the old diary records her thoughts. Saw P as to the Lord's table, a tender flower. Who will shelter her through life? Never met anyone like her. God will give her a great future. And a little later on, a long think about future life. I feel drawn to Piglet if it's God's will. I think it would be truly happy. But he said nothing, for she as yet had no such ideas. She had gained a scholarship to read history at Westville College and was, as usual, throwing herself into her plans and studies with a heart and soul. He knew that this would mean a delay of at least three years, with his constant regard for her highest welfare, he did not attempt to dissuade her. He was 31 and longing to settle with a family. Great wave of homesickness and longing for a home of my own, he wrote. Loneliness grows as I get spiritually separated from those around me. They don't understand me or I them. Thank God there will be children left here as long as I am. My heart goes out to them. A man alone is a poor prospect. I long for a yoke fellow to be out and out for Christ. So he waited patiently while she enjoyed college life to the full. She became a senior student and the president of the debating society. And Mrs. Manyard, the principal, planned a glorious academic career for her student when in her third year she was offered an assistant lectureship at Holloway. The future stretched bright before her, and then quite suddenly, Harold Sanjin proposed to her while crossing the road in Brighton, dodging the traffic. It was a complete surprise to her, but because for years he had been the best and most saintly man I knew, she accepted immediately, 
and they announced their engagement that night at the supper table. She had expected to become a housewife in Bayswater, with a husband rising to prosperity, but this, too, had to be abandoned. A few months later, Harry astonished all who knew him by deciding to resign from the bank and go abroad as a foreign missionary. This was no sudden impulse. Years before, he had seen the vision, but it seemed impractical then for family reasons, and he resigned himself rather sadly to London life. The land that filled his thoughts was Mexico, where his father had died. Mexico looms before me, he had written some five years previously. Go ye, Christ said, and I can do it in his name. But what of mother? It's easy to put Mexico away and settle in ease and comfort, but I am hungry to find myself without a plank between me and Christ. I dare not move until I am clear about my motives. Then later on, Mexico must go, and I must settle to London life. A bitter, bitter prospect. But the seed of desire had laid latent through the years, and at 36 he was free to go, not to Mexico, but to South America. The sudden knowledge had come to him in the night, and he came down in the morning absolutely certain of his call. The only words he could find to explain this revelation were the words of the hymn, Christ the Son of God has led me to the midnight lands, mine the mighty ordination of the pierced hands. To the sorrow and indignation of his employers, he resigned his excellent prospects and proceeded to prepare himself for the mission field. He spent a year studying homeopathic medicine and first aid, while Ella did a special nursing training at Mildway Mission Hospital. She and Harry were now in London together, Although the off-duty hours of a nurse were few and short, he managed to take her out once a fortnight. Miss Cantrell, the saintly old matron, disapproved of this, and she considered it fast behavior and requested another nurse should go with them as a chaperone. Ella said she would discuss it with her fiancé, which she did, but he cut the discussion short. Tell old Muscatel and Raisins I'm not having any, he remarked, and they set out unaccompanied to walk through the park. There were happy days, and glimpses of courtship were preserved in old faded letters written by Ella to her parents. I'm working in outpatients now. I'm living with the Sanjins for a few weeks, and Harry is madly happy that I'm come. I hid behind the chair on Wednesday night when he came home and listened to him talking. When he discovered me, he thought I had just come for an evening, so I said, I've come to stay, and he shouted, Piglet, will you marry me tonight? He is so mad, can't eat his meals sensibly or anything, but dances around me and keeps kissing me. It's very wonderful that he loves me so. Little Heaven is his favorite name for me at present, and I do hope I shall always be it for him. But he is so much gooder than I am, and so oblivious to cold and hunger and sleep. She was always his little heaven. They were married in London in 1914. A special reception had to be given afterwards for her patients and mothers and babies she had delivered during her midwifery course. Thus, twelve years of patient waiting, Harry had given his heart's desire, the wife who was, in every way, the perfect complement of himself. Together they decided quite simply that with him the Lord's work would always come first, and she never forgot that promise or questioned his long absences from home. Her practicality balanced his mysticism. 
for she was born a homemaker, and whether in the, the wilds of Brazil or verminous lodgings in Buenos Aires or later in England, where the old red brick house swarmed with children, there was always a place of peace for him to return to, where he could rest from the heavy strain of ministry or study undisturbed. She asked very little of him apart from his love, for she was essentially a giver. But for over 40 years, the calm, deep, selfless quality of their relationship impressed even casual visitors. No child of theirs can remember one sharp or irritable word between them, and the atmosphere of that home inspired many young people to whom they opened it up so freely. But this was all far ahead. When they first arrived in Buenos Aires, the man who was to meet them and make arrangements had been called up for military service, and their first temporary home was a one room in a home in Buenos Aires where black beetles swarmed up the walls at night. They stood the legs of their camp beds in kerosene. Here, until they moved, Ella learned to housekeep in a kitchen where she shared with four Spanish families, and it was a hard struggle from the beginning. But fortunately, they were both endowed with a keen sense of humor, and she was his sunshine and laughter. She was like a hummingbird chained to a tortoise, he once wrote rather wistfully. But she was practical and down-to-earth hummingbird. And in the next two and a half years, she made friends with her neighbors, learned the language thoroughly, and bore two babies, Hazel and Farnham. Harry, in the meantime, had joined up with a group of missionaries and was preaching and teaching and riding on horseback over the mountains to the small, scattered, sometimes almost illiterate groups of Christians. And everywhere he went, he was smitten with the need for Bible-taught pastors and evangelists who would teach and build up those spiritual, spiritually hungry little churches. He and his fellow missionary, Stuart McNair, decided to open a Bible school in a rural area in Brazil. So Harry and Ella packed their meager belongings and started off with their two-year-old daughter and seven-week-old son on what even the optimistic Harry described as the most difficult journey they had ever undertaken. They traveled for 3,500 kilometers by boat and a muleback. It was very rough and the boat was extremely crowded. Wherever they stayed, they were plagued by insects. They carried their worldly possessions with them, which caused the customs officer to remark that times had changed since the days of the early apostles, who went without purse or scrip. Harry replied patiently that the apostles did not have to travel with babies and sought to turn the conversation to higher things. But they arrived at last and settled into their new home, which Ella dubbed the House of a Thousand Fleas, the previous owner had kept pigs in the basement and rats visited them freely. Also in the wet winter, the roof leaked in Hazel and Farnham, slept under the kitchen table when it rained. Nevertheless, it was roomy and airy, and perhaps no little home has ever been more beloved or held dearer memories. Harry taught at the Bible school opposite where a crowd of eager young students worked in the fields for their keep during the part of the day and study during the rest. As for Ella, the coming of this friendly young mother into their midst was a never-ending source of interest and delight to her Brazilian friends, as were also her few simple belongings. She unconsciously solved the problem of a suitable headgear for the morning service by sending out washing to an old woman and was mildly surprised to recognize her towels adorning the heads of the, of the congregation. 
However, as the articles were all returned later in the week in clear condition, no questions were asked and the custom persisted. They were a loving, simple, truly Christian congregation, and they loved their new missionaries who quickly learned to live and speak as they did. Harry wrote of them. They used the Lord's name on every occasion with great reverence, and one was not surprised to hear a voice from the kitchen saying, Here is some maize left over from dinner, Cecilia. If God so pleases, you must fry it tomorrow. And the answer, If it is in the Lord's will, I will do so. Little Paquita, as they called Hazel, played barefoot with her Brazilian friends and spoke their language and became almost as brown as they were. But baby Nana did not thrive. He became ill with lingering dysentery complicated by abscesses in his ears. He lay very quiet in his cot, too weak to move except to rise one skinny hand and blow small, pitiful kisses. Careful feeding and nursing seemed of no avail, and the nearest doctor was miles away and refused to come for any money. So with the simple medical knowledge they possessed, the parents did what they could and prayed almost unceasingly beside the cot, and the crisis passed. But he remained weak and did not seem to thrive, and a third child was expected in mid-April. Gradually and reluctantly, the parents were beginning to realize that the conditions in which they lived were unsuitable for the delicate or newborn babies. There was another reason, too, for the uprooting. During the two years they had been there, Harry had been deeply impressed by the eager thirst of Christians for able, spirit-filled teaching. There was everything to hold them in Kringalia, the love of the local Christians and the students, the friendship of the McNairs, the encouraging results of the work, and most of all, the company of his wife and children. But the Bible school was established and prospering under McNair's able guidance, and there were other districts, other countries where no such effort had been made. Already, pleading letters were reaching him to come and hold Bible schools in British Ganda, in the West Indies, and other parts of South America. The final decision must have cost them both much. They returned to England in 1919, and Harry went back to Brazil alone. In 1921, he left that first dear Bible school and embarked on a life of constant travel in which his wife and babies could no longer join him. Ella longed to go back to Gringolia, but never once did she attempt to influence him. The choice was made before God alone. But with regard to the journey to England, there is one event that needs to be mentioned. They left in in February, and the storms at sea were terrible. The expected new baby nearly arrived in the Bay of Biscay, but Ella survived and reached Southampton. Lodgings for the night had been arranged at the nearby town in St. Leonard's. From there, they planned to travel to Mrs. Swain's home in Marville, where arrangements had been made for the birth, which was due in about a month's time. But Ella had reckoned without her husband. Spring was in the air, and he was exuberant at being safe home in England with his family. They borrowed a large, top-heavy carriage for the two older children and went for a family walk. But Harry was not used to the carriages, for the roads around Corgolia having been suitable for such vehicles and at the top of the steep slope, he lost control. He clung on as the carriage careened to the bottom, but he could not stop it capsizing and pitching the babies out onto the grass. They were shaken, but quite unhurt, but the shock had been too much for the mother at the top. She went straight back home, 
and somewhat to her kind landlady's confusion and astonishment, Patricia Mary was born a few hours later. And tomorrow we'll t- talk about Chapter 2, Early Years at Marvel. I hope you're enjoying this. I love you. I'm praying for you, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.